Like Becky said, um, I'm her favorite pastor. I'm Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. So, so Brandon, he is the regular preaching guy here who's the other pastor. So he, um, I think, you know, Brandon's not here this morning. I can say nice things about him. So I think he's the best young preacher I've ever seen in my life. He's really great. But he's not here this morning. So, so he, uh, he texted me at 3 o'clock on Friday afternoon saying, I have influenza. I can't preach on Sunday. So there you go. <laughs> so I said, what do you want me to preach about? And he said, anything you want. <laughs> I said, okay. <laughs> so for better or worse, that's what he told me. Anyway, so you're stuck with me this morning. You're welcome. So, uh, so this morning, uh, I, something I could preach about on short notice is parenting. Let's do that. Okay. So that's what the topic of this is this morning. So we're going to be going through Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. So I'll just give a few qualifiers before we jump into the passage today. So these are just, uh, buckle up, these are just a few qualifiers. Um, so I'm not going to say everything there is to say about parenting. That would be way too long. All right. So in a lot of ways, this is just going to be a big picture, high-level overview um, just of parenting in general. Uh, also, not everything I can say uh, can be applied to every uh, parenting stage that people might be in this room, like kids, no kids, the ages of your kids, um, empty nesters. Um, and uh, if, you're, if you're married without kids um, or you're empty nesters, like, this will be hopefully a good window into just like um, gospel-centered parenting and like, a snapshot of what that looks like. Um, and last qualifier, uh, this is the one I'll spend the most time. If you're single... <laughs> Uh, um, here's my little commercial to have you not sleep or tune out. I mean, you can sleep or tune out. Like, nobody's stopping you. But, um, so here's my little commercial on that. So, first of all, parenting, it, it might be in your future at some point. Um, so that would keep that in mind. Uh, also, um, if you're single, I'm not just saying this. You have a, I mean, I'm sure you know this already if you've been a part of our community here. But, like, if you're single, like, you have a really important place um, here at River City for a lot of reasons, and one of, the, one of which is um, when it comes to the kids, like here at River City um, in general. So for us, uh, I have three daughters under the age of 13, so it's uh, 13, 10, and 8. We talk about our feelings a lot in our family, so like that's just what we do. So like we have a lot of talking, and I love it. So, uh, so for example, uh, we were at small group last week, and so um, there's a girl who's in our, a woman who's in our small group named Liz. Um, she's a nurse practitioner. I just say she's a doctor because I don't know what a nurse practitioner is. So, so Dr. Liz, so she was in our small group. So at the end of small group, after we got done with the Bible study portion and everything, so uh, Liz is chatting up my middle daughter, Maggie, um, who's 10. Or Maggie was chatting her up. I don't know, which vice versa, whatever. So, so like, you know, I was just watching that, and... Um, like, I was really thankful that Liz, I'm really thankful that Liz takes an interest in my daughter. Um, I mean, part for a lot of reasons, one of which is um, she, uh, you know, because my middle daughter, Maggie, like, she's really into science and people. So vocationally, I could just re really see her taking the same route as Liz, you know, just vocationally. So, like, um, yeah, so, like, I'm really excited to see, like, see and know Liz. Like, I'm excited for Maggie to see and know Liz as someone who's following Jesus and just takes an interest in her, you know, because, like, for Becky and I, like, this is my wife, who's up here, 
Um, you know, we don't want to be the only godly, and hopefully godly, we don't want to be like the only godly influences in our kids' lives. So I mean, like, we want like other people besides us, and that includes like married couples, that includes people who are single, like older kids, like younger kids. We just don't want us to be the only ones. So we're really thankful to have somebody like Liz in our lives. So like when it comes to, um, so if you're single and you're part of like a small group, like you following Jesus and taking an interest in the kids in your group, that's, that's way more valuable than you probably realize. So, so you can just keep that in mind um, as you listen and apply this sermon here today. So, um, so that's my little commercial, all right? So, all right. so, so this morning, um, we're going to be looking at Ephesians uh, chapter 6, verses 1 through 4, and, then, and from it, we're going to see um, how this passage makes the case for three things. One, our parenting shouldn't be child-centered. Two, our parenting shouldn't be parent-centered. And three, like our parenting should be God-centered. So our parenting shouldn't be child-centered. It shouldn't be parent-centered, but it should be God-centered. So let's pray. So God, um, thanks for the opportunity to just like talk about um, your word and just like the gospel. And man, like um, you really are good news of just like belonging to you, finding our identity in you. And I pray that like um, the spirit will just really apply that well, like collectively with us and like individually, um, so that like your word can just really be planted in us. So yeah, so we just pray for that and we love you. Amen. All right, so I'll be reading um, Ephesians chapter six, verses one through four. It'll be up on the screen. So verse one. So children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. So let's start out with the first point that I mentioned, that our our parenting shouldn't be child-centered. It shouldn't be child-centered. So verse 1 says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. This is every parent's favorite verse. Like, this is like what we have tattooed on our arms and just like, just like above some kind of mantle in our house. So, so who are the children in this passage? So based on verse 4, this is talking about children who are still in the home and who are under your authority. So this is not talking about adult children. If you're 23 and you don't live at home, this ain't talking about you. So, and like, I use the word authority right there, and speaking of authority, like, that word authority, that's often, like, a, um, a dirty word, like, in our culture, and, like, man, like, in um, this generation that we live in right now, but, man, that wasn't, that wasn't, uh, that wasn't the word that had baggage, like, for our grandparents and our great-grandparents. So, in short, uh, the word authority, like, that, pro- that doesn't mean what you probably think it means. So, when the Bible speaks about the word authority, it's t- talking about the responsibility that's given to you by God. And it should be used to bless those under your authority so that the people under your authority can be flourishing. So it's the responsibility that's given to you by God, and it's been given to you by God to bless those under your authority so that they can be flourishing. So the upshot of that is that, man, like if the people under your authority aren't flourishing, like you're probably not exercising your authority well. That's just the general principle of that. 
So physically, I mean, you can apply that to work, you can apply that to like all sorts of areas of your life and everything. It's like physically, emotionally, spiritually, if people aren't flourishing well, there's probably something wonky and sidewise with like how you're using your authority. So this passage says, children, obey your parents, for this is right. So according to this passage, children are under your authority as parents. Children are under your authority as parents. And according to this passage, a gospel-centered home is not a child-centered home. A gospel-centered home is not a child-centered home. And according to this passage, you should expect your kids to obey. You should expect your kids to obey. Now, some people think that the main reason why you should exercise your God-given authority as parents and expect them to, to obey is so that you can function in life. And in a lot of ways, that is totally true. <laughs> because if we don't set boundaries, set expectations, expect our, expect our kids to obey, enforce consistent consequences, appro- appropriately discipline, like if, you don't, if we don't do those things, like how are we supposed to go to the grocery store? Or like, go out in public to a restaurant. Are we supposed to enjoy Chipotle or anything? It's like, how are we supposed to like send our kids to school with any meaningful amount of confidence? Like, or send our kids like to a friend's house and just like, like with any meaningful amount of confidence too. Like, if we don't expect our kids to obey, it's just plain hard to function in life. Like, you don't, and you don't need to be a Christian to realize that. Like, that's just pragmatic, getting-through-life kind of stuff that we're talking about. But from a Christian perspective, there's an additional, deeper reason why parents should expect their kids to obey. It's because we want our kids to learn that it's good to be under authority. And it's desirable to be under authority. And it's safe to be under authority. And when I say that, like, I'm not talking about teaching our kids to be some kind of, like, mindless, um, like, drones that get taken advantage of by people. Like, I'm not talking about that at all. Because here's the deal. If the exercising of your authority is loving and wise and consistent, it teaches them that it's good and healthy to not be the king of your own life. Because if we don't exercise our authority and expect them to obey, what we're indirectly teaching our kids is that they are the king of their own lives. And that's good and desirable. And on a pragmatic level, just, just getting really practical here, like that won't teach our kids for wider social interaction, and, but most importantly from a Christian perspective, like it won't prepare them to meet the real king. So let's be honest, like if our kids don't learn to submit to our authority, like, how are they ever going to learn to submit to God's authority? So, um, so I have a chart that might explain this. So everybody loves a chart on Sunday morning. And when I may say everybody, I mean probably nobody. So, so here's a chart. So uh, Becky and I, uh, back before we were married, we were counselor supervisors at a camp. So we would teach, like, 60 counselors, like, uh, 60 19-year-olds, like, how to 
basically be parents for the summer. <laughs> anyway, it was pretty interesting. So, uh, so this is what we went through with um, as counselor supervisors, and this originally came from my friend Chris, who was was the program director there. So, um, so the premise of this chart is that every time your kid disobeys, and whether they are man, like whether they're like 18 months old or whether they're like 13 or whatever. Um, the premise of this chart is like whenever like your kid disobeys, they're asking two questions. And they don't realize that they're asking two questions, but they're asking two questions. And those two questions are, am I loved and can I get my way? Am I loved and can I get my way? So for example, let's talk about little Jimmy. So we're going to be talking about a lot about little fictional little Jimmy here. So, so little Jimmy is your son, and little Jimmy asks you, can I watch a TV show right now? And you say, no, but you can watch one after lunch. Simple enough. Okay. So the boundary has been set, the expectation has been set. But little Jimmy, he knows where the Netflix button is on the, on the remote, so he just picks up the remote and says, no, I want to watch. Then he pushes the Netflix button. I, mean, I sound like an expert because like, maybe we've experienced this once or twice before. Anyway. <laughs> now, little Jimmy doesn't realize it, but little Jimmy is asking two questions. He's asking, am I loved and can I get my way? And the way that you consistently respond as a parent in these types of situations is going to determine which category little Jimmy falls into on this chart. So let's start at the bottom right. So little Jimmy says, no, I want to watch, and pushes the Netflix button. So if you respond, you watch that stupid TV all the time. How dare you talk to me like that, little Jimmy, you horrible kid. I've had enough of you. And then you snatch the remote out of his hand and you turn it off. So what's being communicated to little Jimmy is that little Jimmy is not loved. And he can't get his way. So if that's what characterizes your response as a parent, then over time what you're creating is a wounded child. And you don't need to be a Christian to realize that that's how that works and everything. But from a Christian perspective, whether you realize it or not, you are preaching a sermon about who God is to your kid right there, to little Jimmy. Like, you think for sermons only get preached on Sunday. It's like sermons get preached in like the margins of life like this too, in the everyday stuff. So you are preaching a sermon about who God is to little Jimmy right there. And what you're telling him about God is that God is a temperamental boss who lords his authority over you. He doesn't care about you, and he doesn't love you. So let's go to the bottom left. So little Jimmy says, no, I want to watch. So if you respond, you watch that stupid, stupid TV all the time. Fine, go ahead and watch it, because I've had it with you. And then you storm off in frustration, and little Jimmy gets to watch his show. So what's being communicated to little Jimmy in that moment is that little Jimmy is not loved, but little Jimmy can get his way. So if that's what characterizes your response, then what you're creating over time is a bully. 
So for our daughters, like, that's why we've consistently tried to teach them like, that the mean kids at school, those are actually the sad kids, because there's a lot of sad stuff typically going on like, in their home. So that's one way like, that we've tried in some kind of way to like, really cultivate compassion in our kids. But, and again, you don't need to be a Christian to realize that that's how bullies like, often get formed like in the home there. But from a Christian perspective, whether you realize it or not, like you're preaching a sermon to, about who God is to little Jimmy, and what you're telling him about, like, about God is that God is totally cool with you being the king of your own life, but he doesn't love you. Let's go to the top left. So little Jimmy, he says, no, I want to watch. So if you respond, Little Jimmy, we used kind words, little sweetheart, just this one time. You can watch. Okay, sweetheart, mommy loves you. Okay, just this one time. Don't get angry. And then little Jimmy gets to watch his show. So this is the kind of situation where, like, one kid whacks another kid or, like, the kid whacks the parent or an adult or something like that, and there's no, like, appropriate or consistent consequences for that. And they say, like, oh, we, we do hugs, not hits, you know. So what's being communicated to little Jimmy is that little Jimmy is loved, but little Jimmy can get his way. And if that's what characterizes your response, then over time what you're, you're creating is a spoiled brat. And again, you don't need to be a Christian to realize that that's how that happens. But from a Christian perspective, again, whether you realize it or not, you're preaching a sermon about who God is to little Jimmy. And what you're telling him about who God is is that God is so excited about you being the king of your own life. And the main reason he exists is to serve you and be all about you. And his whole life, God orbits his world around you and not the other way around. So let's go to the top right. So little Jimmy says, no, I want to watch. So if you respond in a calm voice and say, no, mommy said that you can watch after lunch, then you take the remote out of little Jimmy's hand, you turn off the TV, then put little Jimmy in timeout because he was sassy with his words and he disobeyed. Then when little Jimmy gets out of timeout, he needs to apologize to mom. Mom forgives little Jimmy, and then there's the restoring of the relationship. So what's being communicated to little Jimmy is that little Jimmy is loved, but little Jimmy can't get his way. And if that's what characterizes your response over time, then what, over time what you're creating is a well-adjusted and emotionally healthy child. But from a Christian perspective, again, whether you realize it or not, you're preaching a sermon right there to little Jimmy about who God is and like what you're telling, about God, telling him about God is that Little Jimmy is not the king of his own life. Someone else is meant to be the king of his own life. And ultimately, God is meant to be the king of his life. And being under God's authority is good and desirable and safe. And in the midst of being under God's authority, little Jimmy is deeply loved by God. So parenting a kid, um, your kid for like this quadrant right there, I mean, I mean, that'll get you to the grocery store, okay? <laughs> like it will. But from a Christian perspective, 
it prepares them to understand who God is. It cultivates that. And it helps them to cultivate, like, um, just in, like, teaching them how to respond to the gospel. It's like parenting towards that quadrant. That's part, that's not, not all, but, like, that's part of what it means to parent in light of the gospel. And that's the kind of culture and trajectory, like, we want to lovingly and graciously encourage parents towards here at River City. Because so I hope you see in that chart, like, parenting that is shaped by the gospel is not child-centered. And it's not parent-centered either. Speaking of which, let's talk about the second point. So our parenting shouldn't be parent-centered. Back to the passage, verse 2. So verse 2 says, Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you, and that you may enjoy long life on earth, on the earth. So when we're under our parents' authority, we're called to obey them. And when we leave their authority, we're still called to honor them. So it doesn't mean that you obey them when you're 30. Like, um, you know, if you're out on your own, it's like, or if you have a family on your own, it's like, like, you need to follow God and create your own family's rhythms and structures for following God and, like, what that looks like. But, you know, just make sure, I mean, this sounds obvious, but, like, just make sure to just do that in a respectful kind of way, you know? Sometimes that's challenging, but, like, what is the, like, what is honoring, the principle of honoring look like in that situation? And it was said, when it says, uh, which is the first commandment with a promise, that's just referring to the fact that, like, um, honor your father and mother was the first of the Ten Commandments in Exodus 20 that had a promise attached to it, you know? Because from a general principle perspective, if you honor your parents life is probably going to go better for you than if you don't. Like, that's just the practical life truism. Verse 4, fathers, do not exasperate your children. So what does it mean to be exasperated? So think about the worst supervisor that you ever had. And think about how that made you feel on a regular basis. That's what it means to be exasperated. So fathers here can either be translated uh, fathers or parents, and that's why we use the NIV um, as our Bible translation here. So there's a translation note if you look in your NIV Bible that can mean either fathers or parents um, for this. So if it means fathers, uh, that could be because men sometimes have the tendency to be overly harsh with the rules in kind of a caveman kind of way. I don't think I'm breaking any news when I say that. Okay. So, however, if it means parents, that could, mean, that could be because um, we know moms can uh, sometimes do that as much as dads. Again, not breaking any news when I say that either. So. But regardless of whether it means fathers or parents, like, I would argue that the root of exasperating your children is having a parenting philosophy that's rooted in being parent-centered. That's rooted in being parent-centered. Because we often exasperate our kids when we correct and discipline or just the tone, posture, and emphasis of how we talk to them, like when it's out of the overflow of our our own self-centered motives. Like we just want it quiet, we want it peaceful, I want to do my own thing, I just am really not interested in being a parent right now. You know, like we've all been there, you know. 
Um, the people that I have to apologize, when that happens in our house, when that's because of me, I mean, the people in my life that I have to apologize the most to on a consistent basis is my three daughters. <laughs> you know, so... Um, I don't always do this consistently, but like one thing that I've tried to do over the last several years is just like, you know, when I apologize to them, I don't, first of all, there's like bad apologies out there where it's like, you know, you just like kind of do like, eh, well, you, it's kind of your fault too and everything. It's just like, no, just like, I 100% own it. I don't make qualifiers on it. I apologize to them. I say like, Daddy sinned against you, and I'm sorry, and I was not patient, and I was not loving, and I, like, raised my voice, and I apologize for that. And, like, I use the word sin with it because I want them to, like, really understand, like, the connection between, like, sin and, like, what I'm doing right there. And, and then, like, they forgive me. They've never said, like, I'm not going to forgive you. But, um... You know, and, like, sometimes what I'll do is that, like, I'll actually pray in front of them, too, and just be, like, you know, it's, like, um, God, thank you for forgiving me for that. I pray that you just, like, really help me to be, like, loving and patient and kind and be, to be a good dad, like, to my girls. And because um, I just really want them to, and I have to do that, like, out of the right motives, like, because you can't be a fake, you know, and be, in, like, inauthentic or anything like that, because that's, that's, that's a whole trajectory of other problems there. But, um one of the things I really want to do is just really um, model to them that, like, even in the midst of sin, that, like, we can go to God and be under his good and desirable and safe authority. So, but that's when, like, parenting gets, like, I exasperate my kids when I am parent-centered in my motives. So, but that's the way that, like, I need, that's my way out of that is that, like, like, by way of the gospel, just by faith in Jesus and like seeing him as approachable that I can go to him. And I really want to model that to my girls too. So parenting that is shaped by the gospel, it isn't child-centered, it isn't parent-centered, but it is God-centered. Verse four. Fathers, don't exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. I would say that verse 1 is arguing against the child-centered home. The first part of verse 4 is arguing against the parent-centered home. Then this part of verse 4 is arguing for a God-centered home. So parenting is not ultimately about you. And it's not about your kids either. It's ultimately about God. So the Westminster Catechism, that was like an old school book in the 1600s. Like Not many of us have read it, but it's a fine. Anyway, so it has this famous quote in it that says, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. The chief end of man is to glorify God and, and enjoy him forever. When it says man there, it just means humanity. So if your parenting is child-centered and you make your kids the chief end of man, you're ultimately going to make your kids just like set them up as an idol in your life. And in the long run, that's going to crush your kids. If your parenting is more parent-centered and you make yourself or your life or your goals like the chief end of man, like ultimately you're going to make those things like an idol. And in the long run, you're just going to exasperate your kids. 
But instead of those things, the way that we pursue God-centered parenting is just by fixing our eyes on the gospel and our identity. And what do I mean by that? So I realized, like, we're just parachuting in um, because of Brandon's influenza. We're just, like, uh, parachuting into, like, the middle of Ephesians here. But um, the book of Ephesians is, uh, it's all about the gospel and identity. So that's important to know because the gospel is the big E on the I chart. If you miss that, like, like it doesn't matter what else like, you think you see on the chart or whatever. You, you just need to see that. So God made us in to, to be in a relationship with him. Like we sin against him, which fractures our relationship and our standing with God. But Jesus lived the perfect life that we were supposed to live. And he died the death that we were supposed to die. And like, and through that, like, when we put our simple, oh man, simple but life-altering faith in Jesus, that gives us a new identity of who we are. And our new identity is that we belong to Jesus. You know, and that's what it means when people talk, you know, people talk about like their identity in Christ. It's like that's what they're talking about. Because the, like, the ultimate thing about your identity is who are you and who is the most, what is the most important thing about you. And the gospel says that through faith in Jesus, you are his child and you belong to him. And that's the most important thing about who you are. And in the daily grind of life, our identity in Christ is what keeps us from pride and despair. And what do I mean by that? So, so for example, so a couple years ago, um, so my middle daughter, Maggie, so who's 10, um, so I asked her if I could tell this story. So I'm at the stage in life where I need, when I tell stories about them, I need to ask their permission. Anyway, so, um, so she said it was okay. So it was about a couple years ago, uh, Maggie was just, um, uh, man, just really worried and freaking out like, um, about like, this thing called the map testing that they do. It's kind of like in Iowa. It's like, you know, it's like the map testing and just like, kind of just, that's kind of like the baseline, whatever. So um, that's a big deal. So, um, you know, and she was just really worried that, like, how she was going to do and how she was going to score on that test. And, like, um, Maggie's the smartest kid in her grade. She's going to be fine, okay? But um, that sounds like I'm making that up. Like, oh, everybody thinks their kid is the smartest. No, she actually is. So, um, so... Now, if the gospel isn't what I'm trying to have shape my parenting, I could just say something simple like, hey, Mags, you'll do fine. Just get a good night's sleep, and you'll be do great. Which is completely true, and I totally believe that, 100%. But the good news is that the gospel takes us deeper than that. So instead, what I told her was, yeah, Mags, like, I know you're going to try your best, but yeah, you might fail. And some of you are like, man, I hope I'm so glad you're not my, you're not my dad. <laughs> I was like, yeah, like, yeah, you might fail, you know. But, you know, like, and I told her that, you know, but even if you do fail, that's not crushing to you because succeeding or failing, like, that's not the most important thing about you. The most important thing about you is that you belong to Jesus. You know? And like because you belong to Jesus, that doesn't change. And if you get every question right on your test, like that's cool. But like even if you ace the whole thing, it's just like 
that's not the most important thing about you either. It's like the most important thing about you is that you belong to Jesus. And then like, you know, it's like we have this kind of conversation all the time together and everything. This isn't like an isolated thing because that's just really good news to her. You know, she's just like, okay, you know, then she gets a good night's sleep. So, you know, but like what I'm doing there, and I don't use these kind of words with her, but like what I'm doing there is that like I'm teaching how her how in a normal conversation in the margins of life, I'm teaching her that the gospel frees her from pride and despair. You know, you know, it frees us from the pride that comes from success and it frees us from the despair that often comes from failure because success and failure from a gospel perspective don't define us like the gospel defines us. And that's not, not just true when it comes to map testing at school. Like, it's true for parenting, too. Because when it comes to parenting, the gospel frees us from pride and, and despair. Because some days in parenting are awesome, and it's kind of because of you. Some days are awesome in parenting, and it's totally not because of you. Some days in parenting are totally horrible, and it's kind of because of you. Some days are horrible in parenting, and it's totally not because of you. Because regardless of how awesome or horrible your day or week in parent, from a parenting perspective is, and regardless of your culpability in it, like your identity of belonging to Jesus is what stays constant. And it keeps you from pride on the good days and despair on the bad days. Because like, if you have a great week in parenting of setting boundaries, being consistent, not raising your voice, being generous and loving to your kids, like your success in parenting is not the most important thing about you. The most important thing about you is that you belong to Jesus. And if you have the worst and most inconsistent week of parenting ever, and we've all been there, um, the most, that doesn't define you either because the most important thing about you is that you belong to Jesus. And that is good news to a parent's heart. That's why remembering the gospel is so important. And remembering the gospel is why we take communion together. That's what communion is all about. So remembering the gospel is all about Jesus and what he's done for us and who he says we are. And it's through faith in him that we find our identity in him. And that's the most important thing about us. That's so critical for the parenting process, but it's also foundational for the whole rest of your life. And communion, like that's meant to be a symbolic act that we do together. So the bread symbolizes his body, the juice symbolizes his blood, and, like, and those things were broken and shed for you. Not because you're awesome, but because he is. Like He took the initiative with us, he took the hit for us, and that's why we respond to him by like, finding our identity in him. So if Jesus is your forgiver and, lead, and leader, like we invite you to take communion this morning. Yeah, and if you decide to put your faith in Jesus and like find your identity in him, like pray to him, surrender to him, like put yourself under like his good and desirable and loving authority and just like go take communion. So the worship team, like they're gonna be playing three songs up here. You can go back and take communion at any time. So there's two communion stations in the back. You take the bread, you you take the bread, you dip it in the juice, and then you take it that way. So so yeah, you don't need to be a member here to take communion. You just only need to belong to Jesus. Let's pray. 
So God, I'm really thankful that like, um, like you get to call the shots and like say like what is the most important thing about us. And yeah, we're just really thankful that that you are the most important thing about us, that we belong to you. Yeah, thank you for not being um, a cold, disinterested God like who's just at arm's length and it's just some kind of like. Um, man, temperamental boss or anything like that, but, like, you just really do love us and you, like, call us to come under your authority. So I pray that, like, just for um, the culture of parenting here at River City, that, like, we'll just, like, be able to, like, encourage parents towards, like, that quadrant, um, that fourth quadrant right there, just and just really have the gospel really just really shape everything about, like, um, how we're moving towards that. But we just pray that, like... Um, on the bad days of parenting, and even on the good days, that we like, we just need to remember the gospel. And so you're the one that like empowers us to remember you, God. So we really need you for that desperately. So thanks for you, and we love you. Amen. <laughs>